Welcome to the Richie Flow Nutrition Podcast. My name is Cameron Borg. On this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Chandler Mars. Chandler Mars is a researcher in women's health with a focus on steroid neuroendocrinology and mental health. She has published and presented several articles on her findings, and she has also written a landmark book with Dr. Derek Lonsdale on the subject of clinical thiamine deficiency and its various manifestations. As a graduate student, she founded and directed UNLV Maternal Health Lab, mentoring dozens of students while directing clinical and internet-based research. Postgraduate, she continued at UNLV as an adjunct faculty member, teaching advanced undergraduate psychopharmacology and health psychology. Dr. Myers received her BA in philosophy from the University of Redlands, MS in clinical psychology from California Lutheran University, and MA and PhD in experimental psychology slash neuroendocrinology from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Chandler runs a very popular website called Hormones Matter, where regular articles are published on a wide array of topics. She is also a dedicated power lifter and continues to encourage many women to engage in physical activity through her Facebook group, Old Ladies Lift. I feel really privileged to have had the chance to speak with Chandler. Her book with Dr. Lonsdale is amazing and definitely one I can see becoming a classic in the decades to come. It's instantly one of my favourite books and one that I would recommend almost everyone read who's interested in health. Uh, Chandler is incredibly insightful and calculated and the work she's doing to bring greater attention to the impact of thiamine inadequacy and women's health is inspiring. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for coming to speak with me today, Chandler. I've been a huge fan of the book that you did, and I'd love to know how you got into um, working on thiamine deficiency disease and um, uh, negative reactions to pharmaceuticals uh, from your background. Um, it was very winding road. Um, you know, one thing led to another. Uh, negative reactions. I've been in women's health for a long time, and you may or may not be aware of this, but most uh, drug testing is not done on women. And so we don't get the, the information regarding even dosing appropriately um, until it hits the market. Um, so many drugs go out there that do just fine with men. Um, give them to a woman and it's an entirely different uh, response. And, and one would expect that because there's an entirely different physiology. Uh, but I'll give you an example, like uh, Ambien was on the market for 20 years before they realized that uh, they were giving women the equivalent of a double dose. Um, and so that's the state of women's healthcare. And so it was very natural for me to get into, uh, you know, medication adverse, of, uh, adverse reactions from that perspective, because they almost always happen with women. And I was very interested in women's health. And so when the Gardasil vaccine came out, um, we started seeing obviously a lot of reactions, uh, to Gardasil. And over the course of, of my research and uh, others' research, I was connected to uh, Dr. Derek Lonsdale, um, who is the co-author of, of the book and is, in fact, the driving force in this book. And this has been his life's research. And we began working together just on, on helping girls uh, and young women recover from Gardasil. And uh, so it slowly got into the mitochondria 
and into thymine. And over the course of, of a few years, uh, we decided that, uh, based on his insistence, that we should do this book together. Yeah, it's a it's a really fantastic book. It's instantly gone to one of my favorites that I've read. Um, it was a bit tricky to get through. Um, but it was, <laughs> it it was well, well worth the persistence. Um, and it's, it's centered around this, uh, B vitamin that not many people really talk about thiamine. Uh, so could you just give maybe a, a little background about what is thiamine, where does it come from and what are its basic functions? Sure. So thiamine is vitamin B1. Um, and it is responsible for a whole host of things. But its most important task is it, it drives the conversion of food into ATP. So it is uh, required to get glucose into the mitochondria and turned into ATP. Thiamine is responsible for, for driving metabolism, driving the creation of, of, of energy. Um, we need it in the carbohydrate pathway and we need it in the protein pathway and we need it in the fatty acid pathway. So basically everything you might want to eat requires thymine to get it from its macronutrient status um, into ATP. Um, and so without thymine, we don't metabolize foods very well. And what that means is we don't produce energy very well. ATP is the energy that drives all cells. And so when you don't have sufficient energy, think of all the functions that require energy, those begin to falter and eventually fail. And that is kind of the root of, of modern illness is the inability to create sufficient energy to meet the chaos of the world. Um, and that's how illness begins. And so that's the, the entire book is about that. And why do we not really hear anything about thiamine? You know, you'd never, like I did three years of um, study at university and basically got told that it was in pork and that's about it. So why are we not talking about um, thiamine very much? Well, it's interesting um, because we think we solved it with food fortification. And indeed that went a long way to help uh, thiamine deficiency. So thiamine is, as you mentioned in pork, um, is, a, is a good source of it. It is in grains, um, but the primary source in the modern world is in uh, fortified foods. And the problem with fortified foods is that in addition to offering the bare minimum of nutrients, they come with not only a collection of toxicants, uh, but calories and sugars and all sorts of things. And so the demand for thiamine uh, is not necessarily met by what's put in those, those foods, particularly with most Western diets that, that are very carbohydrate central centric. Um, and so we think we've solved it. Fortification took care of it. No one's starving anymore. You, whenever you look in textbooks, you see pictures of thiamine deficiency. You see emaciated folks and or uh, chronic alcoholics. Those are the two areas where it's, it's most common. In fact, I was, I, again, I'm in graduate school, actually since college, uh, you know, you're taught about thiamine deficiency and Wernicke's encephalopathy. Uh, which is a result of, of chronic alcoholism. But what most folks don't realize is one, there's not sufficient thiamine in the diet given all of the threats to thiamine status. But two, um, 
it, it's it's uh, thiamine deficiency is is everywhere where there is heightened sense of metabolic need. So if you have an illness, you you need more energy to solve that illness. All, you know, your immune cells, everything needs energy. And so if you don't have the energy to solve it, you end up with chronic illness and that becomes a cycle. Um, if you have something like pregnant women, you need more energy than you do to grow a baby than you do as a non-pregnant woman. But our RDAs are set so low such that, you know, say the 1.1 milligrams is the RDA, um, 1.4 for a pregnant woman. Um, if, if, which is abysmally low, just in general, but then if the woman is vomiting excessively or just vomiting with normal morning sickness, she's losing all that. Or if you have an illness where you're vomiting excessively or you can't eat or any number of things, you're going to need more thymine. But because of the way we've defined it classically, Wernicke's, uh, which is late stage and uh, uh, starvation, uh, we don't look for it. So broadly speaking, what are the, you mentioned threats to thiamine status. What are, what's putting, um, putting pressure on thiamine in the body in the modern world? Everything, <laughs> everything <laughs> that demands energy. I mean, think about it, but if we're carbohydrates, so because it's a central driver to carbohydrate metabolism, the more carbohydrates you, you consume, the more thiamine you need to run that through uh, the mitochondria, because if you don't have sufficient thymine, then it never makes it into the mitochondria and it goes into all these accessory pathways that end up with metabolic disease, you know, um, inflammation and all sorts of other things, um, because those are just, you know, pathways that, uh, uh, salvage pathways, if you will, to deal with the excessive amount of carbohydrates that it can't shut through the mitochondria. So carbohydrates, all the crap in modern foods uh, are a threat to thymine. Excessive coffee, even regular coffee, coffee, tea, the tannins in, in that, um, alcohol certainly, but it doesn't have to be what we think of alcoholic status. If you have a normal glass of wine or two at, at night on a regular basis, that depletes thymine. Medications are absolutely huge. Uh, thiamine robbers, uh, you know, and there's any number of them that directly block thiamine uptake, metformin, for example, uh, but most of them also damage the mitochondria by some mechanism or another. So if you damage the mitochondria, then in order to undo that damage, you need more energy. And if you need more energy, you need more thiamine. And so essentially, life in general, modern life, everything that makes modern life easy, you know, fast foods, you know, fast <laughs> agriculture, fast this, fast that demands more thiamine. Yeah. So it sounds like we're getting battered from every angle. Um, and where a lot of people are standing around with what might be considered subclinical or, um, not deficient, Absolutely. but suboptimal thiamine levels. And we may not even know it. Uh, and one of the things you mentioned in the book that this could lead to is dysautonomia or um, this imbalance in sympathetic parasympathetic activation. So what does this roughly look like when, when we start to get symptoms of dysautonomia? Well, it looks like a lot of things. Um, you know, when your heart doesn't beat appropriately to the environment, so it's too much, too soon, too little, too late. 
So you get symptoms where, you know, you stand up and you get uh, either orthostatic hyper or hypotension. It just doesn't regulate appropriately. Panic attacks are, are very common kind of in the earlier stages because panic is, you know, it's, it's your heart beating and you're not able to consume oxygen appropriately and, and that you might get uh, um, GI distress. Uh, again, the too much, too soon, too little, too late type of things where you're either constipated or you, you have diarrhea and or it goes oscillates back and forth because the sympathetic parasympathetic innervation is all askew. And so you, you get things that are not regulated very well. Gastroparesis, again, you know, the digestive system is not working appropriately. Um, and so you get things like that, that are, that are, can become pretty evident pretty quickly, but you get a lot of other subtle things, you know, you get temperature control, uh, which if it happens to accord at a later stage, if you're a woman, you think menopause and maybe it's not, it could be very well menopause, but it could also be that you don't have appropriate nutrients to manage things like that. So there's a variety of, of, of symptoms, but if you just think of inappropriate regulation to the environment around you, that's pretty much the, the, the guiding principle of dysautonomic function. Yeah. One of the things that uh, really struck me was that pretty much anywhere where you need energy, which is everywhere, everywhere, <laughs> um, thiamine uh, insufficiency can have an effect. And you talk a little bit about this idea of pseudo hypoxia uh, in the book, oh, which yes. is particularly fascinating to me because I work as a pulmonary technician and I, oh, see, really? I see lots of people coming in, they're measuring 99% on um, um, uh, oxygen saturation and they are gasping for air. They simply cannot get enough air. And I just wonder how many of them are thiamine deficient and can't convert um anything into energy. Yes, I, I, probably a large part. And you see that more and more with, with COVID and post-COVID. Um, and I've always thought from the beginning of this pandemic that, that folks would benefit from not just thiamine, but especially thiamine, but a, a, you know, a, a vitamin cocktail on a regular basis while they are fighting the illness. And instead, we give them all sorts of medications uh, that deplete energy stores. I mean, they certainly may, may attack whatever the virus or the bacteria, if we've got into a bacterial infection, but they do that um, mostly by depleting the organism's uh, ability to synthesize uh, uh, or utilize uh, nutrients because every living organism needs nutrients, whether it is a microbe or it's a human. Um, and so rather than feeding the body, feeding the microbes, feeding, you know, and allowing them to do their thing, we tend to just kill things, you know, kill this, kill that, stop this, stop that. And then hope somehow the, the human in which those things are happening survives it. And then we wonder why they come out of it uh, being very worse for wear, uh, you know, and unable to do it. But the pseudo hypoxia is particularly interesting because we can't even breathe without energy. And so we, we think of energy as the, the life, I mean, that energy is, is breath, is the life force. But in order to breathe, in order to use that oxygen in, in a way that, that is useful, you have to have ATP. And if you don't have ATP or sufficient ATP, then you can't breathe. 
And so really the life force is, is energy. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I, I remember working and reading through this book as fast as I could because every day I'd have someone who I'd go, oh, I wonder, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder yeah. what's going on in, in the mitochondria, whether they can't, they can't convert anything into ATP. And that's why they're having these dysautonomic functions. Their breathing's all mm-hmm. off. They can't seem to breathe enough. Um, yeah. So I found that particularly fascinating. And you mentioned there that, um, you know, a cocktail of different nutrients are all responsible. There's a few great um, graphs in the book that show all of the nutrients required at each step of um, of the citric acid cycle and beyond. And I was just wondering, you know, because it's not just about thiamine, if you were to start supplementing with thiamine, what would other synergistic nutrients be that you would want to include in that? I know magnesium is, is a popular one Certainly. that's mentioned in the book. Magnesium is, is critical. The other Bs are, are very important. Um, alpha lipoic acid is important. As you get around the, the cycle and through the electron transport, CoQ10 is often required. Um, but this leads into a different discussion, actually, that we should probably talk about is that when someone has been ill for a long time, and maybe even with acute thymine uh, deprivation, I, I'm not as, as versed in that as well because I don't work in a hospital, but uh, with, with chronic thymine deprivation, um, they are not only depleted in a number of other nutrients because everything re-regulates relative to thymine because thymine's at the top, um, but when you begin to supplement with the thymine, um, it becomes to be, it becomes a very tricky process because of electrolyte balance in particular, but also because you don't know exactly what they need in the other nutrients, because what they need in the deprived state may not be what they need in the semi repleted state, you know? And so everything kind of fluxes and it's, it's difficult to manage not only from the beginning, but at each juncture, things change. So we like things, you know, give a pill, you're done, everything's good. That's not how it works. <clears throat> things wax and wane, you know, your stressors wax and wane, but your needs change relative to the, the, the totality of, of the nutrients that are being given. And so when someone asks, well, can you give me a protocol? And I know people give protocols and they're, they're good frameworks but they're not absolute. And, and, and I think folks have to, to recognize that, that it's not as simple as just giving someone thymine and magnesium and a multivitamin. I mean, I'd like it to be, uh, but it, it's not. Um, you often have to manage this, that, and the other thing. And as, as things change, you have to add different components. So having said that, some folks with chronic thymine deficiency um, when they begin thymine repletion, they get worse. Um, and they, they, it, sometimes it is just a lack of other B vitamins or a lack of, of, um, uh, uh, electrolytes, but oftentimes it's because everything has been reprogrammed. And when you finally give it a little shot of energy and it just, it's like a car that sputters you know, and doesn't quite know how to do it. And so it becomes very difficult. And so some people have to start their thymine repletion with 
like minuscule doses of thymine and they have to stair step it over a very long period of time before they can tolerate an actual effective dose that will do anything to improve their symptoms. Yeah. There's a few mentions in the book about, um, if chronic, if you're in a state of chronic thiamine deprivation, the enzymatic machinery that deals with it is actually, uh, becomes dysfunctional. So it can take, Mm -hmm. can take some time to get that machinery back up and run. Yes, it can. And ideally, someone would be under the care of a physician, you know, and could do IV thymine and could do regular blood tests to see what is going, which direction and what needs to come in, you know, at what point, but such as it is, folks have to do this themselves. I just got a a message from a, a, as an example, a message from a patient who was diagnosed with, uh, uh, thymine deficiency a year prior, but no one did anything. And when she tried to get treatment, she has, she has severe thymine deficiency, um, Wernicke's. The neurologist sent her a note saying, well, this is a nutritional deficiency. I can't do anything. I mean, she's got Wernicke's. And I'm like, that is like the classic neurological disease pattern. It, it, it is, it's brain function is altered. You, you have white matter, you've lesions in your brain. And yet the neuro- neurologist doesn't think it's merits his attention because it's a nutrition problem and she should see a nutritionist. Wow. So yeah, that's specialist that's state of uh, medicine. Yeah. So I was, I was wondering because probably a lot of people, um, you know, if once they, you know, hear, hear you speak on a podcast or read the book might be interested in trying, um, thiamine supplementation. Is there any danger of, if you're taking thiamine by itself of, uh, actively depleting other B vitamins or other nutrients because of the way that it doesn't technically deplete them. It just starts using them, I guess, which is depleting them. But whereas they were kind of in a quiescent state because they didn't have the energy to run the respective cycles. Um, and their enzymes are probably down-regulated. Uh, so you weren't using as much as soon as you start upregulating, you do need to have the other B vitamins going again, dosage though, becomes very difficult to determine. And it's based on individual need. And there's a lot of trial and error, unless someone has access to regular testing, which no one does anymore because we just don't test nutrients like we should. Um, and so, yes, there, there is a risk you could, you can get low on, on riboflavin. You can get low on B12. You can get low on folate. Um, you can become low on niacin I, any of them. It, it just, in, in which ones you become low on is entirely dependent upon your diet and your exposures and your genetics and all of that. And that's why a multivitamin is good. However, some people can't even handle a multivitamin, so they have to take each B uh, individually, which becomes very expensive, unfortunately, and very difficult to 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 really manage. Yeah, and something that becomes very clear in the book is that testing for thiamine deficiency is not very simple. Um, no. Yeah. So, <laughs> what what are some ways we could go about? Um, quantifying our thiamine status? Well, so I, I would like, well, first read the book or read our website, Hormones Matter. We have lots of case stories. We have all sorts of information on thiamine deficiency and other topics. It's not the only topic we cover, uh, but it is a, a primary driver in recent years. Um, but I, I, 
clinically is, is how you can do it for the most part, you know, and you can look at your medications too. You can look up your med, type in your medication and type in thymine next to it and see if it does anything. You know, you may have to go a page or two in or more to find out, but oftentimes or, or medication and mitochondria um, and you, you start to see patterns. And uh, so you can suspect that based upon your environment and your health, you're likely to need it. And thymine is not the only vitamin everyone needs, but it's the only one we seem to miss. You know, it's like everybody will try everything else until they get to thymine because it's so entrenched that we've solved it. So um, some of the more severe symptoms, you might see the, the balance difficulties and you can walk heel to toe. And if you can't walk heel to toe, then you might be having a problem with thymine, you know, um, if you've got tremors or twitches or anything like that in the peripheral nervous system, you might have a problem with thymine. If you have GI symptoms, I mean, they did studies back in the 40s, 30s and 40s, which were highly unethical, but in a female psychiatric ward, they decided to uh, give groups of women uh, thymine deficient diets for extended periods of time. I mean, no thymine whatsoever to, you know, just like fractions of milligram uh, for extended periods and look at the results, uh, you know, and, and track them. They had them thymine deficient for like six months in some cases. Uh, yeah. And, um, but they made sure that the other vitamins were replete, you know, so they knew that it was thymine. But some of the first symptoms were in addition to like kind of general malaise, mood, irritation, lack of energy, you know, this kind of fatigue um, was GI dysfunction, GI dysfunction. I mean, your GI system just stops working um, and they would have food intolerance and even IV or, or parental food intolerance. I mean, they vomit because their GI system could not handle the metabol didn't have the energy to metabolize food um, in anything. So if you, you've gotten to that point, if you got this GI dysfunction, or if you just have GI dysfunction in general, because you have Crohn's or colitis or any of these things, and you, you can suspect that you probably are going to be deficient in, in thymine. And if you wanted to get testing, there's only, there's one test in the, in the U S and or one lab in the U S and one lab in the UK, that's it for the, the transketolase test, which is arguably the more accurate functional test because it looks at the enzyme activity versus what's just floating around in your bloodstream, which can, until you're severely deficient, uh, what's floating around kid could fall within the reference ranges. Is um, urinary um, organic acids, uh, like having an elevated uh, pyruvic and lactic acid in urinary organic acids useful at all? It's useful, yeah. But what I find interesting is that when, when so that's more of a kind of an acute or early phase reaction. If someone has been chronically deficient, I mean, for just like we're bedridden, like we're talking chronic fatigue, you know, that type of situation. Um, we often see uh, extremely low pyruvate to no pyruvate. So like the whole pathway shuts down. Everything just looks like slow motion. And then there's other markers around that. So the fact that you don't have high pyruvate or high lactate does not exclude the possibility that you still need thymine. 
And how about serum thymine? Um, is that is that a useful marker at all, or should that be? Not usually, no, because it's very sensitive to what you've eaten over the last 24, 48 hours. And so if you've had a, a, a meal or supplemented vitamins or you regularly supplement vitamins, then it's going to show that you're fine. Um, and it may even show that you're fine for an extended period of time when you're clearly not, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to just go back and touch on something you spoke about at the beginning, which was women's health. Mm-hmm. Is there a, is there a change in the way that research is being done now to include um, both men and women in large scale <laughs> trials? Well, they say there is, but when you go back and you look at the data, not there's not even female rodents in early phase trials. So it's not until the, the, you know, like phase three trials that they start to get women. And then the problem is they include women in the trials, but they don't do any sex-based analysis to see if there's any difference between the men and the women. They just check the box that we've had X number of women in, in the study, uh, but they don't do any analysis whatsoever to see what the differences are between the, the two, uh, between men and women. So no, not really. <laughs> is there is there um anything being done to change that like uh are we every now and again something comes out in the news and 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 uh someone reacts and and there's a change so after the ambient study came out they they made a big deal at nih they had to include x number of women in this phase and that phase uh but they they don't have the regulatory budgets or they don't care to regulate whether or not they analyze in any of the data. So when they they come back and you'll get these these meta-analysis by um, by um, subjects. So you know cardiology, immunology, this and to look at the the numbers of women in the study and where or in all studies and where they were in the study and whether or not the data were analyzed. It ends up being between fifteen and thirty percent uh are actually analyzed so um yeah so no not really right so you need to find a doctor who's really in the know and and who's checking all of yes and so as a woman you really have to pay attention to this and understand that the the dosing might not be right the side effects are maybe entirely different uh for you and and so yeah and most adverse events are in um women so in most of the drugs that have been pulled from the market, the largest percentage of adverse events is from women. Do you think that's why the, the um, companies choose to um, have mostly male subjects in their clinical <laughs> well, it's trials? it's easier. It's certainly easier, yeah, and it's cleaner and, and you know, and, and male, male animals, or they don't menstruate. You don't have to deal with any of that fluctuating hormones or... Yeah, it's it's cheaper, it's easier. Yeah, of course they do. Mm, it's always something I look out for when I'm reading a, a trial. You know what what the what the um, distribution of uh, participants is, um, age and gender. Uh, because well, yeah, and even if the distribution is okay, you know sometimes the distributions are okay, but they don't analyze it. Mm. And and so what good is it to include all these if you're just going to leave that data? you know, on the floor, so to speak. And, and that's, that's the problem with, with, uh, yeah. So 
in regards to thiamine use in clinical trials, have there been any real uh, like landmark papers as far as using thiamine in different disorders and diseases? Oh, actually, well, there's been a lot of research on thiamine and Alzheimer's. And in fact, there's a new one coming up, uh, a new $5 million study. Uh, I can't remember whose lab is doing it to look at the treatment of, of Alzheimer's with thiamine. Certainly, uh, Constantini's work with Parkinson's work, but it's not a large-scale clinical trial by any sorts. It's his practice. He tabulated things, and he continued to track it. But he showed remarkable results uh, treating Parkinson's with, with thymine. Um, and then there's bits and pieces of this disease process, that disease process, diabetes, uh, because they tend to excrete uh, more thymine in addition to the dietary component of eating higher carbs, um, is, is uh, problematic. So thymine has been very useful in bringing down uh, glucose levels because obviously it uses glucose. So instead of it floating around in the cell, you're going to pull it into the mitochondria and turn it into energy. So there's been a lot on type 2 diabetes, a little less on type 1 diabetes. Um, uh, but it's, it's really, you know, because it is so integral to just life in general, um, it is implicated in everything, um, everything that requires energy. And so, <laughs> you know, you ought to be thinking thymine if it's a life requires energy. So you ought to be thinking, is my thymine sufficient to meet the demands that I am putting my body under, you know? Um, so even healthy people, if they're under high stress and, or athletes, you know, under excessive training probably need thymine. Is there a rationale for the idea that maybe everyone at some point in the modern world uh, would benefit from some sort of thiamine uh, supplementation, or is it possible that food can get us all the way? Um, I think the only way food can get us all the way is if you were to eat highly fortified foods. And if you were to eat highly fortified, then the demand is higher than the food can give. So it's this kind of negative cycle here. Um, if you were to eat completely clean diet, I mean, completely organic, you know, no exposure to pesticides, herbicides, and other things, no other exposures. Um, it's possible that thymine could get you through and no medications, no you know, off the grid. <laughs> if you were completely off the grid, then, yeah. and yeah. yeah. Well, I've noticed that um, organ meats are coming back um, into yes, you know, they a lot of people's diets. So that's likely going to help um, quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I'm just not sure, given all of the exposures that we have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's why it's a, it's a little bit difficult that you, it's very difficult to quantify um, whether you need a little bit extra or not. So um, if you do realize that you might need a little bit more, I noticed that there's uh, a few different types of supplements mm -hmm. out there. Um, what are your takes on the regular thiamine HCL, benfotiamine and the more expensive uh, TTFD? Um, all good, but good for different reasons. Um, HCL is a good starter thymine. 
<laughs> but it, it's where it is. And it's good background maintenance timing for the average person um, who is not experiencing anything. Um, but it's less potent than the other two and it's not absorbed as well. But folks who have been chronically ill often have to begin there and have to be again at a very small dose of it. They'll have to open the capsule or get bulk supplements and, and dose it appropriately that way. If they can get past that, or if they, they, they um, want a more potent one, then either Benfo or the allothiamine Thymax or lipothiamine are fine um, because those you can get more bang for your buck uh, in, in terms of the ability to absorb it and the ability to uh, get into the mitochondria, get into even the cell membranes uh, because of the way they're designed. So thiamine in general has to be uh, transported with a, a transporter. Many people have SNPs in these transporters and or are on medications that downregulate the transporters or so on and so forth. The BIMFO and the, the TTFT version, TTFD versions don't require transporters. And so those become the versions of choice when uh, you have problems with absorption or transporter issues or anything like that, or genetic issues that are gonna require a much higher dose over an extended period of time. Are there any dietary factors that um, maybe enhance the function of these transporters? Oh, that enhance? Hmm, I don't know. I've always looked at the things that degrade them. I actually don't know. I think, yeah, I think there's a, there's a, it's a very small remark in the book that um, where these SNPs for thiamine transporters are uh, more common, they consume foods that sort of compensate for that, for that dysfunction, uh, which I found quite interesting. The idea. Well, that, certainly. Yes. You could. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can not only consume, but where the transporters are, are dysfunctional, you supplement because if, or where the enzyme is, is dysfunction, because even the enzymes that, that have genetic defects in them can be to some extent upregulated with a higher dose of its cofactor, uh, whether it be a thymine cofactor or any of the other nutrients. But if you upregulate that dose, you can kick that enzyme into gear to some effect and, and manage that, that problem. And that's something I think that we ought to spend a lot more time investigating uh, across the board and all folks, because everybody has unidentified genetic defects that are making it difficult for them to absorb something. You know, it's, it's, it's not just, I mean, and if we, we looked at the cofactors of, of some of these enzymes and, and things like that, I think that we could resolve a lot of health issues by just feeding them uh, so that they can function better. Um, but we, we don't look at nutrition at all. Yeah, I've seen a few people who, um, when they get sick, they empty out a capsule or two of thiamine HCL into a big water bottle and they sip it throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's that's a really interesting way, you know, slow dosing it throughout the day. Yeah, that is that maybe better than taking a capsule? Um, do you get better? Well, it, it depends on the person. It really depends on what they can tolerate. And and so, um, you know, if you can tolerate a higher dose, you're going to need a higher dose. To, to, I mean, most people are going to need a higher dose to heal, but if you, it's whether or not you can tolerate it right out of the gate, 
Um, and so, yes, if you can sip it across the day, eventually you'll get a fair amount in there. But how much of that is absorbed, really? Because, again, HCL is very poorly. It's like 8% of it's absorbed. So, you know, 8% of 100 milligrams, 8 milligrams. And then across the day, yeah, yeah, you may not be getting very, but again, people, some people have to microdose. So it just is what it is. And you do what you can until you can handle a dose. So if, if someone is in the, the, the Barry Barry Wernicke's, you know, kind of into the spectrum where they've already got damage, they're going to need a fairly high dose. And ideally, again, they would get IV. You know, Wernicke's protocols are, are, depending on the severity of the Wernicke's, are anywhere from 200 to 500 milligrams of IV one to two times a day for several days to a week, followed by an extended period of time of, of less dose and oral. Um, and so if you're in that category and then you get a neurologist like the one I just mentioned said, well, it's nutritional, I can't do anything, you know, you're going to have to dose because IV absorption obviously is, is a hundred percent. Whereas oral, you know, 500 milligrams of oral is, is nothing. Um, if the absorbability of, of HCL is so low, so you're going to probably need a BIMFO or a TTFD brand to get it up there, but you may not be able to handle it. And that's the problem because, and you don't have a doctor to manage it with you. You may throw off your potassium, you may throw off your calcium, you may not have enough phosphorus. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's always difficult trying to balance all of those things with isolated nutrients. So yeah, it's it is probably, probably it's very a difficult idea to keep an eye on it as you go. Um, yeah. Can gut microbes generate thiamine? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting about the, the gut and the microbes, well, the microbes anywhere in your body, frankly, is, again, every organism requires thiamine. <laughs> so, um, but, and they, they, they derive it from different pathways. But the ones that are more um, pathological have salvage pathways. Ways, and they're much more adept in nutrient deprivation states of generating thiamine from these, these salvage pathways. And so that's why they thrive in nutrient deficient states, whereas those more beneficial microbes die off and you get that kind of imbalance in the ecosystem. Yeah, that's really fascinating considering that, you know, in industrialized countries, we have about a third of the uh, complexity in our microbiomes than our ancestors did. So I often wonder if we're subclinical thiamine deficiency just based off not having very many, not much uh, diversity in our gut to begin with. Um, I, I would suspect probably, yeah. Mm, that's so interesting. And the and the substrates for that would be amino acids and. Um, There's a variety of them, yeah. Um, but it, again, it depends on 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 whether it's the beneficial or the that's such a bad term, beneficial, non-beneficial, but it, it, it really doesn't encapsulate what's going on. Yeah. But yeah, it, it just, it, it depends. And sometimes there's some fatty acids. So like the, the, the microbes in the colon, it was long thought that the colon didn't produce any thiamine, um, but they do, uh, but they do require fatty acids and they have their own little transporter uh, that, that takes it right in. And so it, it's, 
you know, you're, we're learning more and more and more about the importance of the microbes and how they work with various nutrients. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Mm. And what are you working on at the moment? And what are you, what are you looking forward to, to seeing <sighs> in the future? I, lately, I haven't been working on much, frankly, trying to keep my head above water, uh, like a lot of folks. Um, I have begun working with a, a foundation that intends to promote thymine and uh, work on thymine-related uh, projects. And they have uh, just sponsored their first research project. Uh, it's a... Um, it's a study on mice uh, relative to soybean oil, soy oil, seed oils, and how diet of seeds, which is pervasive in the modern world, seed oil is in everything, affects thymine metabolism, the thymine genetics, metabolomics, et cetera, as well as some other indices. Um, and so that's, that's one project that's starting with this foundation that I've begun to work with. Um, and they're also in negotiations with some other researchers to do thymine and T-cell function um, and to develop thymine testing and different thymine testing uh, capabilities because the thymine testing is, is really lacking. Um, and so that's, I think, very exciting. Um, and so that's where I've been focusing on some of my attention. They don't have a website yet, so you can't look them up. <laughs> <laughs> in the background, but yeah, but in the next year or so, you'll start seeing more thymine related research come out. Awesome. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep up to date with everything you do on hormonesmatter.com. Is that, is that correct? That's, that's the website. Yeah. And, and again, uh, it sounds like an odd name for a website that does thymine and mitochondria, but, uh, I began in women's health and we began in, you know, endocrine research. So that's where it's stuck and we've stayed with it. So. Awesome. Um, I'm going to let you go now because I know you're probably very busy, much busier than me. Um, but I would encourage everyone to pick up a copy of the book. It is. Yes, please do. And even though the title is very scary and it is technical, we tried, uh, really hard to make it readable, uh, with case studies and, and, you know, kind of explanations of what's going on. So it is dense, but I think it provides a, a very useful framework for understanding health and illness. It's not just about thymine. I mean, it yeah. certainly, you know, focuses, but it's, it's, it's a different way to understand health and disease. Yeah. And the case studies alone would, would be like really, really worthwhile reading if that's all you can access. But, um, yeah, I accidentally left this book on the bus one day and I and really put it into the bus depot and I went to pick it up and the guy looked at it. He's like, what the hell is this? So, <laughs> um, but I was very panicked to have lost it. But thankfully, I got it back because it had all my sticky notes in there. Um, yeah, it's 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 the title is very, very scary. Um, and so, you know, if you can get past that, uh, it. It is. And I, again, the case story, the case studies are interesting. That's why hormones matter is so useful because we have so many case stories on that. But um, the, the interesting part about it is they're so diverse. And, and, and I yeah. think that's something we're not used to in medicine. We're used to having things look the same, you know, 
this disease process looks like this. This one looks like that. This one looks like that. Well, when you're talking about a mitochondrial disease, uh, which is effectively what thiamine deficiency is causing, that all goes out the window. And, and so you realize that, that our, our kind of artificial designation of disease may not be as useful as we think it is. Um, and so that I think is, is one of the key take home points is that the disease is not as, you know, neat and clean as we think it is. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great way to end here. Um, everyone get a copy of the book and leave a review as well once you've read it. And, yes, please. Um, and when, when you realize how useful it is, um, I think it's going to be a, a classic in the years to come. I think uh, it will be an absolute necessity. Um, and I can't thank you enough for coming to speak with me, Chandler. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, oh, thank you for having me. All right. You take care. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep up with Chandler's work, I've put links to her channels in the episode notes. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can subscribe on Spotify and YouTube, and you can leave up to a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is a simple, no-cost way to support my work and help me reach more listeners. Please feel free to leave any comments on my YouTube channel as I do read through as many as I can. I've put links to all of my social media platforms in the episode notes if you'd like updates about the podcast, information about health, or you'd just like to reach out to me. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Take care.